When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 112, What's New in View 3.0. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week, we'll be discussing the View 3.0 release. And then in the web news, we'll be discussing software as a service and the just the general future of tech. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or just share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain point. So Mike, please, sir, take it away. Okay, uh, my weekly pain point this week is priorities. So I've been having a few, I have a lot of projects that I'm working on, and I've, I've said this many times on the podcast, but uh, the to-do list making and all that, it, it it helps a lot, but there's also something that I need to constantly do, and that's to kind of change priorities, to check my priorities, to make sure that I'm actually working on the right thing at the right time. So sometimes I'm just like faced with, you know, a plethora of tasks, like my task managers are just overloaded and at that point that's when i kind of go in there bring in maybe a team leads bring in my like cto or something like that and be like okay these are my tasks sorry can we can you help me get my priorities straight like what needs to be done right now do i need to work on qa stuff do i need to help someone or should i be working on this new feature that we've been wanting like and everything is kind of urgent that's when you know everything's kind of going not wrong but stuff needs to be adjusted essentially like when you see your tasks fill up and they're all in urgent category you're like okay can't handle this <laughs> like i gotta i gotta take a step back we need to figure out what i what i should be working on right now so that no one panics and i don't panic and we kind of get through it so that's what i kind of did a little bit last week made sure that my priorities are set and i actually got a lot done uh k- killed the qa board which i don't really do very often like usually i'm working on new features so the qa board is assigned to other developers but last week, I was just like, you know what? The, the QA board's filling up. I need to help. So I just kind of killed the QA board down to the point where I know that everyone can handle it. Um, there's obviously still some of the bigger stuff left, but I moved on from there to like some of the bigger features. So that's kind of how I've been managing for the past week. That's my pain point. What about you, Matt? Uh, so my weekly pain point is more of a personal one. It's lack of sleep. So it's not due to uh, not sleeping due to like insomnia or anything like that. It's because the uh, the new consoles came out, new gaming consoles, and so uh, they're not they haven't come out, but their uh, their pre-orders have come out, and so I've been getting up mega early, rushing to the local city and lining up to go and get these things. So yes, yes, you can say I'm doing it to myself, and yes, I'm choosing to do it to myself, but it's once every you know five to eight years ish. So I'm gonna do it, and that's exactly what I did. So I did that uh, today as of recording this, and I did that last week as well. And secured my pre-orders for both the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation Five. Pretty exciting, uh, but that's that's my weekly pain point. <laughs> All right. All right. Congrats, Matt. Uh, with that, let's move on to this week's episode, which is what's new in View 3.0. I want to just kind of put a disclaimer out there right now. This isn't going to be like a typical episode 
where we, you know, break down every little part of what I'm going to be talking about to the very bottom, like layman terms, um, so that anyone that has never even done web development can come in and understand this. I'm going to be talking specifically to people that uh, know Vue to a certain degree, Vue 2.0. Uh, they've used Vue and they're interested in what's new with Vue 3.0. So again, I am going to try to talk in layman terms as much as possible. I'll try to break down features into uh, logical aspects and how how they work in a, in the real world. But um, for the most part, uh, people that aren't interested in Vue, I don't think might will be interested in this episode so much. So either you know you can skip this one or you can go to our web news. Uh, we're going to be talking about some really cool, interesting new technologies. So that's kind of my little disclaimer at the very start. But getting right into it, uh, segment number one, overview on what's new. So there's a lot that's new in Vue, and then there's also a lot that's not. Um, so I'm going to kind of break break it down a little bit. So the first, the biggest new thing in Vue 3.0 or Vue Next uh, is the composition API. And I'm going to talk about this completely separately in a separate segment because it's so big and such a big change. Uh, so I, I'm, again, I'm going to defer to the next segment. Just know that this is definitely the biggest feature of Vue 3.0 and the biggest reason why a lot of the other features are included um, and stuff like that. So next new feature is teleport. So teleport is actually a really cool feature. Um, that's something that I've been really wanting and I'll break it down a little bit here. So in React, if you're from the React world, it's called port. So it's also available in React, one of the newer versions. Uh, and what it allows you to do is render a component in any place you want to, even if it's declared or instantiated in a nested component or subcomponent. So how that works is you can assign it by using this teleport tag in the HTML with a to attribute, and that to attribute can be assigned to a like a, a body tag, for instance, or a ID or a class, and it'll put that that div that you're or component you're creating right in the you know the root of that wherever you assign it. So if you assign body, it'll put that div right into the body. And even though the logic is being controlled by a separate subcomponent or the logic is being controlled and it's nested within a bunch of components, the actual element rendered in the HTML is in a completely separate spot. Uh, but you know everything else is linked up and the view reactivity works perfectly. Um, so that's the kind of the, a really cool thing because before what would have to happen, let's say you have a modal dialog box that has to display over everything on your page. What you would have to do is you would kind of have to position an absolute, put it on top, over top of the component, whichever one you're using, uh, and you know break it out if th through CSS so that it displays over everything else. But when you check inside of the inspect element, or if uh, Google would, were to scroll through your website, they would see it as something that's being nested within a nested within a nested div, and that's being displayed over everything else, which isn't ideal for um, accessibility, which isn't ideal for readability of your code and stuff like that. It just it doesn't it's not logical because if you have like a you know a subcomponent like a little container in the body that when it's when there's a button pressed in that container it opens a modal dialog box. What the ideal is you'd want something that's uh, right in the body to display over top of everything else because that's where it should be. And that's what this teleport functionality allows you to do. So it gives you that option to create your code to be a little bit more readable in the inspect element, a little bit more logical and a little bit easier to control with CSS. So you don't have to do so much positioning in terms of relative or absolute. I got a question here actually already. Sure. So, um, so some of these questions might be dumb because uh, I'm not a view user, uh, but so 
if you were using an older version of you and then you come to this version, I presume the container div is still compatible. Like if you had components, obviously yes. old components. Now, if you were to, you know, effectively compile your code, is there a thing that in which you can say like compile it as new or is this very much a situation in which the user, the developer has to read the patch notes? Like, how does this work? Like, how does, how do you ever, short of it eventually hitting a Stack Overflow article that you read and be like, oh, I don't need a container div anymore. Is there any way that you get informed of being like, hey, you don't need to have this here anymore if you don't want to? So, okay. So, um, no, there is no like inbuilt method of informing you because it's, it's, it's extremely arbitrary. Like it would be really difficult to detect if you're doing functionality that could like a benefit from teleport. Because again, it's kind of CSS based. It's kind of it's very very much function functionality based on you, rather than it being like a standard thing where they could just put like a dep- deprecation tag whenever you build and stuff like that, which I've seen before. But this one, no. This one, you would have had to uh, follow the release notes, or you would have had to like you know read a tutorial on the new view or something like that. It's being mentioned all over the place because this is a new feature, so at least there is a lot of visibility to it. But uh, in, to answer your question, if you're upgrading from view two to view three, um, and you have these, you know, container divs that are, you know, nested within a container within a container, and then displayed using absolute and not exactly inside the right spot, uh, it's not going to automatically tell you. And with a lot of what I'm talking about right now, that's going to be the case because a lot of the features that view three brings are kind of um, slight alterations or bu- built on top of view two's methods or and structure and stuff like that so there's not going to be an easy way to convert everything that you have from view two to be able to use and benefit from the view three now there is a way and i will be talking about that i have a segment uh, segment three called migration um, but the spoiler on that is uh, there are a few things that you need to do to an existing project to make it view three compatible and there's a variance in in that uh, because a lot of view two is compatible on view three. So you don't have to do everything at once. That's another kind of little benefit that you, that they, they put into this. So you can kind of do it in, in, um, as, as you want. So you, there's a few things that you absolutely must do, and it's not really that difficult. It'll probably take you a little bit of time depending on the size of your project. But then there's a few things that you can do after you do the initial migration that'll kind of speed up your code and stuff like that. Now, with that being said, again, then are people so, like coming from the sysadmin world, you wouldn't jump on the latest update. There'd be like a testing period or maybe you wouldn't even do a testing period. You might have some sort of fixed schedule where you're like, we're going to ensure that we have the latest security update as of a six month period. So we're only going to update, you know, the security patch of this every two months for whatever reason of this server or of whatever, like oftentimes offices. And this was one of the big caveats or one of the big kind of points that was made in the early days of windows 10 is that with windows 10 having automatic updates, like there's a reason why windows updates prior to windows 10 were deferrable because a lot of sysadmins wouldn't allow their companies to constantly upgrade because what if windows updated and it broke Mozilla Firefox and everyone, even if it's not a web dev company, everyone uses web like Mozilla Firefox. Now all these people you know, from the accounting department through even the technical departments don't know what the hell is happening. And then IT gets absolutely mulched with tickets. So they would do something like, we'll wait for a big security update or we'll wait for a certain time frame, and then we'll do the updates. So like with something like Vue, then how how is that 
generally handled or maybe how how do you handle it? So uh, with Vue, it's a little bit different than a security update, in my opinion, and from all the articles and the people I've talked to. So we've kind of approached it like this. Um, we've put it on the docket to upgrade to Vue 3 on in our current projects for, for production. Uh, since it's been released, it was in beta for about a year and a half or something like that, a, a considerable amount of time where all the features were tested. This release version... Um, is still not fully released. So they say it's released view 3.0, but I should clarify what you have to do to get it right now is actually you have to refer to view next. So if you just like uh, NPM install view, you're still going to get two point whatever, whatever the latest version of two is. Uh, But if you do view like import or NPM install view at next, then you're going to get the next, the view 3.0 version. So it's fully released. Like it's like the core of view 3.0 is approved. It's fully released. Like it's, you know, it's stable. It's been tested by a lot of people. So it's absolutely usable in production. Like that's not, that is not a, you know, a, a debate or whatever. Like it's been through a lot to be able to get to the point where it's used in production. Now, there are a few things that are still being released because it's a stage release. Uh, so, for instance, Vue has different components built on top of it. Uh, Vue Router and Vue X, the state management system, they're also made by the team that creates Vue, but they are third. They are technically components or technically uh, plugins that you have to put in yourself into into your core Vue package. Um, those, I believe, have not been updated, at, like as a release to Vue 3.0. So if you're using those packages, it might be worthwhile to wait until those are fully released, which I think is happening in like weeks or months. Like it's not it's not going to be a long time. Like they're they're right up next um, with the, with this view release, and then eventually what's going to happen is they're going to you know take away like when you do an npm install view, it's going to start installing the actual view 3.0, and when you do npm install view router, it's going to install the 3.0 version of the router and stuff like that. So that's going to eventually happen, but it's very going to be very phased because. A lot of people that are going to be coming into it, unless they know what you're talking about, unless they, you know, they've been following the development, they're still going to get the, the regular view stuff because a lot of the documentation, a lot of information on the internet, a lot of the t- tutorials are still going to be talking about view two. So they want to make sure that the, the release and how they a- approach this um, upgrade is manageable so that people aren't like panicking and, you know, installing view two, view three without the tutorials that are available for it yet. So they're, they're giving some leeway for uh, people to create, you know, better documentation for people to test it out a little bit more with all the different modules, all the different plugins and stuff like that. But having said that, again, I've already put it on our docket to start the upgrade process for, for a lot of this, because what happens is if you don't do it now, if you don't do it as soon as possible, you're going to get to the point where you're going to be too much in the weeds and then view four will come out two or three years later. And at that point, they're going to start deprecating things. Nothing's been deprecated this time. So you can still use all the different stuff that you're using in view pretty much again with some minor adjustments uh, and still use it with the same logic. But if you wait till view four and all of a sudden stuff's getting deprecated, stuff's getting taken out, then that like going from view two to view four will be a monster of a project and you don't want to get into that situation. I know uh, for a lot of our other projects, we had this um, this backend package called resource space and we missed like three major releases of it. And now it's like, it's literally impossible to go from where we are right now to the newest resource space version uh, without 
rebuilding our application from scratch. So we don't want to get into that situation. We've talked it over uh, as a team. So we're going to slowly start migrating uh, even right now as it's been released without the view router or Vuex state machine. But we're not going to take it as like a huge priority. We're going to do it in our back time backlog and stuff like that. So that, I don't know if that answers your question, Matt. Yeah, like it's more so it's more so like a you know how if you're on your phone and you just like update all your apps, you have your auto app like auto updates on your apps. It's not it's not it's not so consumerized that you would just jump right into three, you know, exactly. where you're just like, Yeah, I'll just do this, whatever. Like even if it's a critical app, it's not like I'm checking the version of my like banking app, right? But yeah, at the same time, I guess it's easy enough because it's because they've done so much testing and such. Well, and actually, let me ask you a, a, a follow up question then. So you're mentioning tutorials. So if somebody right now is like learning Vue, like it sounds like Vue 3.0, and I know you're going to get much further into it, but it sounds like Vue 3.0 is not as like is not as like different. So okay, so if you're in the middle, because I guarantee there's going to be someone listening to this podcast that's in the middle of a Vue 2.0 pod. Uh, tutorial learning it do you under your recommendation do you continue or do you stop and wait for the view 3.0 and restart do you like just finish the two and update yourself like what would be the procedure if you're in the midst of learning 2.0 right now uh i would go to view 3.0 immediately but they don't know the tutorial is ready right yes so no, you, no, okay so uh, so when i said the tutorials aren't ready i mean like there's just not as many there oh, are oh, like people in the community have, have not yes, written them. Exactly. Right. Uh, like view the view documentation is done. The view 3.0 okay. documentation is fully done. And there are absolutely really good tutorials for view three already made. And there's even some that have been made for like eight months because I said that the beta has been around for so long. So there's there's absolutely material to learn off of for view three. For instance, one that it, uh, jumps to mind just to call someone out is uh, Academind. He has a really good view three course even already done. And view three, like what's new, what's changed video. I've linked it in the show notes. So you can, you can check out the link section of the show notes to see it. Uh, but he has already upgraded his view 2.0 course to view 3.0. And he, I believe he made it free, uh, uh, like a free upgrade for people. So if you've already, if you bought the view 2.0 course, you automatically get the view 3.0 course. Uh, so should you, should you like in that particular instance, like, I don't know, logistically, but like, should that, if you were like halfway through the chapters, I haven't done this course to be clear, but you didn't have the chapters. Would you stop? Like, let's say you're doing five, you're on chapter five of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't know, make it something up. And then you, and then this, this free upgrade comes in or your, or your tutorial, whatever you're doing upgrades. And it's the same amount of chapters. Do you start at chapter five, view 3.0, or do you start at chapter one now again? So what I would do is I would go back to chapter one. Uh, but you're going to do it a lot faster this time. Right. Okay. Because a lot of the code, all the logic that you're writing, the regular JavaScript logic stays the same. How you're structuring your components changes a little bit. All your HTML stays the same. Like a lot of it stays the same. A few of the instantiation, and I'll talk about it, obviously, what, what changes and stuff like that. But a few of the ways that you structure your logic uh, like where you where you you know initialize variables, where you call functions, that changes, but everything else stays the same. And the best thing is, is Academind or anyone else that's doing your course will show you like the differences sometimes as you're going through it. So right, okay. you'll be able to see the differences. And I would absolutely go and start learning Vue 3.0. If I'm going from scratch right now, if I'm in the middle of a Vue 3.0 or Vue 2.0 course, I would go back and try to get Vue 3.0 because that's the way forward. Like it's already been decided. Right, it's not right, up right. to you. It's not up to me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's been decided by the view team, by everyone else that's contributed to that project. 
So you should be learning the newest thing. Um, it's not that different from Vue 2.0. It's not going to be a revolutionary change or anything like that, but it's absolute like you should be learning it at that point. So that's my answer to that. Sweet. Okay. So having said that, uh, we talked about teleport. That's one of the new features. We'll talk about fragments. So this one kind of uh, fits in with teleport a little bit. So what a fragments allows you to do is have multiple root elements in a component template. So this isn't a big one for me. Um, it's not a huge thing. All it really does is allow you to not have so many container divs. So it's again, kind of a teleport-esque feature, but what what you can, what happened before with a component is you have the template tags, right? For a, for a regular view component. And inside the template tags, you have to, you can only have one root div. So if you, you can have a root div in there called container, and then in that root div, you can have multiple divs, like, you know, all that, but you couldn't have like div one and then div two inside of the template tags. All the fragments does is the ability is give you the ability to have two or ho however many divs inside of a template tag so that you don't have to have those unnecessary containers. That's really all I got from it. Um, for me, again, this isn't a huge change. This is something kind of like, okay, cool. Uh, it'll make my code a little bit neater. That's about it. So having said that, let's move on. Uh, there's also the ability to add V module, V models into multiple V models into a div or a component. So V models are a way to two way bind properties or elements or like two way bind data div, like, um, variables. So if you have, for instance, a variable on an input box where you start typing into an input box like your name, you can have it as a V model and then the div with whatever V model name you give it, like input name or something like that, will automatically update and view will know while it's updating. You can do some sort of reaction reaction to it. Like every time someone types in a letter, uh, check it for if it's capitalized or not capitalized and give them like an error if they, if, if you wanted to capitalize or capitalize it automatically yourself and stuff like that. So, or you could check against the database, like they type in, you know, um, if it's a, if it's a database of names, they type in M I K. And then all of a sudden you can list a bunch of names because, uh, you're checking on every letter and then you check against the database, return the, the names that have M I K in them and give it to them. So you can, that that's what a V model is. And then multiple V models, what that allows you to do is you can have a component, right? That has many text boxes in it. Uh, so it's a component like a form and you can bind a bunch of V models into it. And so it's, it's now substantiate, like you don't have to have it inside of your master components or your master page and be able to kind of control what is being displayed and what it, what it actually is generating between, between the, uh, the master component and the regular component with a V model. Before you could still do this, but you couldn't do it through V models. You can only have one V model on a component. And what you'd have to do other than that is have a prop that can sync data back and forth. And it was really clunky because you had to do like a dot sync on the prop. And then you had a V model that handled just one element or one property. And then you had to do the dot sync on all the other props. And then when you sync something from the other component, you'd have to do this, uh, you would have to emit the function back. So it kind of, it just, it was just like kind of a, a clunky way of doing this exact same thing where V models will just allow you to do it without any sort of logic. It's just automatically linked. 
So next, uh, there's a few like little things that they've uh, optimized to make it so that there's a smaller package size when you actually build your Vue.js projects. Um, and the way they do that is uh, with this new composition a- API, especially because what it allowed, like, and I'll talk about it a little bit in depth, but it allows you to kind of not package the entire view lifecycle or a view model into every single component. It'll give you a more ability to like pick and choose what you want to use. So it, they did a good job there. They did a good job, obviously, compressing all the other stuff. Um, I believe they have faster UI rendering as well, which is great, although it was already really fast. So I don't know if you're ever going to tell the difference. I uh, didn't really, that that's not a huge standout feature to me. The other thing that a lot of people might be excited about is TypeScript support natively. So before with Vue, you could have TypeScript, but I believe it was a third-party plugin that you had to install and then kind of, it worked sometimes and it was kind of clunky. Now what's happened is they've actually built Vue with TypeScript. So they're able to support you using TypeScript in Vue natively. But having said that, if you want to use just regular JavaScript, absolutely, that's the default option for you. Just like for me, like I don't use TypeScript very often or ever. uh, So I'm going to stick to regular JavaScript. But if you are a TypeScript user, it's much more convenient to use TypeScript now in Vue than it was before. So that's it for the overview on what's new. So as you can see, it's not a huge, you know, there's not a huge amount of features that they've added. There's not a lot. It's just a lot of under the hood stuff. And the main thing that they've added again is this composition API. And I think that's where all their time went because it's such a drastic change from what view is to me right now. And I'll get right into what it is. So composition API is another way to handle component logic. It replaces the current option API that we have gotten used to. And so the option API, just to clarify what that is, is the clearly separated lifecycle options like data, methods, computed, created. They were all in their separate objects, right? So they were completely separated. You couldn't mix and match them. Like you couldn't, you couldn't uh, declare a computed property within a method, for instance. Like it's just not, you could use a computed property within a method. Uh, with the, this property, the context, right? But you couldn't declare it. And it, what what it gave is really good separation of um, functionalities, which is something I actually really enjoy uh, being able to like know like, okay, these all these things are definitely methods. So this is just functions that I can use wherever I want. All these things are definitely computed. So this is something that I'm waiting for some stuff to happen, to change and react to it in my, in my logic. And this is all data. This is all my variable uh, in, um, declarations and stuff like that. So it was all very easy to read initially. But when you got a really big component, what, what happened was you had to scroll a lot. So what would happen is like, you have a million computer properties and I'm doing this on a daily basis. So like I, I have a component that's this big. So you have a million computer properties and you have to use a computer property in one of your functions. So, and then you scroll, you scroll up to your function, check where you have to use it, scroll down to your computer property, check, check which one, what it's called, what it's doing, adjust what it's doing, then go back, scroll back up to your method, use it. And then you're like, okay, where am I using this method? Well, I'm using it in the created life cycle. Scroll down to your created life cycle. So you're scrolling like a madman, essentially, in these kinds of large components with the original option API. What the composition API allows you to do is write and declare your life cycles as you need them inside of a setup object. So instead of having a completely separated objects for all these, what you can do is you can have a setup object, which is kind of like a, you know, unload or whatever. And in there, as you need them, you can declare your variables using a ref property. 
So that's a separate, it's a new thing that they've added called Rev. I'm not going to get too far into it uh, because it's it's a lot easier to kind of see than to, for me to tell you. I just wanted to give you the overview of what, of what this is. But essentially, you use this new thing called Rev to declare your variable right inside the setup object. And then you can start going logically about it. So if you need the ref to, uh, you know, declare your input box name, and then you need a property to detect if the input box is like, if someone's typed something into the input box, you start creating that uh, method. So you, you automatically create a function right after your, your initial uh, declaration of the variable. And then if you need to read when that function change, like do something when that function changes, you create a computed property right after the function. And you can do that all in one in one object called the setup object, all in logical order. And then you can reference all those things that you've just created wherever you want inside that object. So what it gives you is the flexibility. Yes, you can still create technically that separation if you want. You can still you know, do all your, ob- your variable declarations on top, all your computer declarations here, all your created de- like declarations here. You can do all that, absolutely. Um, but what it gives you the flexibility to do is create logical declaration order. So instead of having your variable dec- all your variable declarations on top and then do like your methods, what you can have is the variable that you're going to be using for this method, you can declare right above declaring the method and, and then, you know, write the method. So it gives you that control. It gives you the ease of use of a regular, kind of a regular and easy to read JavaScript system. So for someone just coming into this, out of a JavaScript background, it might be a little bit easier for them to grasp it. Uh, I could see that being a huge advantage. Now, I'm still not fully sold on it. And this is something that is optional, by the way. That's another thing that I really want to mention. So I've talked about both the Option API and Composition API. They both live in Vue 3.0. In fact, they can both be used in Vue 3.0 at the same time. So you don't have to choose for a project, for instance, that I'm using the composition API. You can have a component that uses the option API and you can have another component that uses the composition API. Absolutely, that's up to you. You can even have, and this, like I wouldn't recommend this because I've, I've tried it and it doesn't make any sense. You can have an op, a component that uses both, but they can't talk to each other. So if you create a, a variable inside the option API, a met, like a, a data variable inside of the option API, it can't be read in the composition API. So I don't see a point to use both in one component, but you can. Like that is absolutely a thing that you can do if you're migrating and you just want to test it out or something. Um, so that was a huge thing that um, I think initially wasn't supposed to happen. Initially, when Vue 3 was announced, there was a big uproar because they wanted to remove the option API and only have the composition API. So everyone have to redo their code completely and stuff like that to migrate. Everyone have to learn something new and everyone kind of got crazy and mad at them and Eventually, they're like, okay, relax, guys. Like, that's why this is a release candidate and we wanted to get your feedback. Like, we heard you loud and clear and we're going to have both of them. We're not deprecating anything. Like, we're going to have both of them in this version and most likely the next version. Um, so no one, no one, like everyone kind of pulled back and then everyone's like, okay, well, what is this composition API? And they started to realize the benefits of it. Uh, what it allows, what, what's a huge benefit of it is the fact that you can import whatever you're using. So if you're not using computed, if you're not using like variables or stuff like that, you don't have to import it from the view object. And therefore it's not packaged within your component. Therefore your component's a little bit lighter. Uh, and that's, that's the, like a, one of the benefits to the, um, to using the composition API, you can make a leaner, more efficient component using it than with the option API. So 
that's i mean there's a few other th- little things like um the other thing that that you with the composition api is you have to export everything that you're going to be using in your template at the end of your setup so let's say you've created a variable again like the input box variable that you want your template to be able to read and write to and the temp when i when i say template that's your html code um so if you wanted to see that, you have to go in at the bottom and return it of the like return it out of the setup uh, function. So it kind of you're it's very deliberate. So you're you're like okay, I only wanted to read this variable. Like I've instantiated a bunch of variables. I'm using a bunch of variables in my logic to like as intermediates. But really, the template doesn't need to see all that. And that's another way of like saving saving. Uh, saving um what is it the compressing it a little bit making sure that the template's not seeing too much and not doing stuff that doesn't make sense for it to do you're you're being very deliberate in how you're uh, controlling the information flow of your system which could be a very good thing right like if you're if you're talking about structure if you're talking about a better architecture if you're talking about creating something that's a little bit more readable in the future that's kind of a really good thing because right now with view 2.0 Anything that you declare, uh, whether it be a method, whether it be a computer property, or whether it be a just regular variable data property, anything you declare in your uh, uh, option API is readable immediately by the template. Which, again, at, at first it's like, oh great, I don't have to you know export it out if I don't need to if I don't need to read it. But it can be get confusing. It can get over like a little bit overwhelming for the template. You can have some, um, it, it it can like to to the point where like let's say you create a method that's named something very similar to a data variable uh, that can get confusing when you're writing a template because it'll auto complete into one of the two. So that's kind of where the composition API fits into this. It is a very big portion of it. I didn't cover everything. There's a few, like there's definitely some edge cases uh, that are interesting that you should kind of look at yourself, but I wanted to give you a little bit of an overview on how it works, what's different and the fact that it's not required. To calm people down. With that, let's go to segment number three, which is migration. So in this segment, I just want to talk about if you have a current Vue 2.0 project, what it will take for you to, to use Vue 3.0, convert Vue 2.0 to Vue 3.0, stuff like that. So there's definitely some new ways that they're doing things. For instance, the one one of the main things is they're getting away from this Vue.use, Vue.use, whatever like the the they're getting away from using a the view object the view constructor as the main thing what you're doing now is you're creating an app using the view constructor and then you're using that app to do all the other stuff that you need to do like mount your view project use other modules and components and stuff like that so you're using an app.use or whatever variable you name that uh wherever create app returns to create app will return the constructor that you need to use, you name that constructor, and then you use it just like you would re- uh, with Vue 2.0. Like, there, there's a few other minor things like you can't um, instantiating is a little bit a little bit different. So you can't use L to to uh, hit it like instantiate your component into a style like into your HTML tags. So usually you would put L hashtag app. And that would that would put whatever you have in your view component inside of the hashtag, like the ID app template tag, whatever div hashtag ID equals app. Uh, right now, it's the same thing, but you have to use dot mount. And then in the mount, that's where you put your hashtag app. So again, 
very similar. It will take you probably like 30 seconds to change. Um, but for them, it was important because they needed to do some other stuff in the constructor that view that that view is doing that allows them to do this create app. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is data cannot be an object. It has to be a method with the return. So I'm going to come back to this one because it slipped my mind a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm not 100% sure what I was meaning there, but I, I did write that down. So I'll come back to it in a sec when I, when I get clear, get it clear in my mind. Next thing here is components now have an emit object that you can pass in what methods you'll be emitting. So this one is interesting because um, there's other, there's objects like a component can have like a prop object, right? So you could pass in your properties into a component. So if you're using a component and you're putting, you're passing in some text into it so that it writes something out, you can, you know, add a, add a prop called text and then put whatever string you want in there and it'll put that text inside into the component. And then you can access it in the component through the prop uh, attribute. Um, there's also emitting. Emitting is essentially allowing you to call functions that are outside of your component. So if you have a function, so if you have a master component, and then you pat you create a component within a component, and you have a function that updates, I don't know, updates users or something like that in your master component, but you need to access that function from that component that you passed in, the, the, the nested component, an emit would allow that, that component to call a external function, call its parent function. So now you can throw in emit components, uh, emit uh, the emit names of all the functions that you want that component to be exposed to, right? And then throw that into an array and pass it into a component. So that's one little thing that you can do. This one is actually not required. So it's not required to do a migration, but it is something that I would recommend because it's a little bit confusing uh, when you have stuff inside of a component emitting stuff, because you're like, where is it emitting to? Is it emitting to that component? What is this function? And when you actually see the component declared with those emit uh, that emit array, then you know exactly, okay, this one is going to be calling these functions. So I need to make sure that, uh, these functions line up to what this component has. Next thing here is transitions. So transitions are changed slightly. Again, it's really slight. Uh, before there was this, um, enter transition. Now you have to put an enter dash from, and then there was a leave transition. Now you have to put a leave dash from. This is all on the CSS side of things. So it automatically generates a transition for you based on CSS classes that you've made and uh, a, tra a transition tag you add to your HTML. So you it's legitimately just adding a dash from to your enter and leave transitions. Not not hard, not you know feature breaking or anything. It takes you like two seconds. Uh, now we're going to get into a little bit of the specific... Um, examples for people that are using the router and the state management. So for view router, the way to instantiate the router is through a new, a new function called create router that it exposes. So everything is the same. So when you create your router, when you, what, what you have right now in your view 2.0 app, the routing functionality is exactly the same. When you declare your router or you instantiate it, all you have to do is add a create router method into your routing into into your uh, main.js essentially it's really simple again there's plenty of documentation online for it it's a one line change literally a one line change um, the other thing that the router kind of changed which is a little bit confusing to me as to why is the way that they handle history methods so before it used to be a history property inside the router 
and it would be true or false. So do you want history? Do you not want history? Now what you can do, what there is, is a, um, I believe there's a history property, but what it ex accepts is actually a function called create web history. And I believe there's other ways there's other functions that you can use now. I think that's why they did it so that it's not just like history on off. There's actually different ways of doing the history aspect of routing. So that's another change that you might have to do. Uh, with Vuex, they have the exact same thing. So instead of the regular Vuex, like app.use Vuex, you have to actually create the store, the Vuex store, and then do an app.use that store. So again, it's a create store method that Vuex exposes and you just pass that store that it gets created that it returns into the the uh, app.use function for for view uh, not not a hard change should shouldn't take you very long uh, the other thing that's changed is mixins so mixins are interesting i used to use them so mixins essentially are global functions that are accessible by any uh, they're accessible by any component so if you have a mixin you can create it uh, you create a mixin file and then it's accessible automatically by any component if you add it into the view.use or whatever in view 2.0. Now it's they've kiboshed that. So mixins no longer work. What they want you to do is they want you to use something called hooks. So that a hook is just like a separate JavaScript file that allows you to access any of the view functionality that you have that you want and then export that function out of that file and then you can import it into any file and why they did this is because mixins are extremely um i wouldn't say random but they're they're hard to pinpoint where they're coming from when you import it because you're just coming for they're coming from a global mixin object where you don't know where it's instantiated you don't know where it's declared you don't even know what it is it's just inside of your view whereas when you're importing or exporting a function like a hook function you actually have to label it as the file name you have to label it where you're exporting and what the function name is it's very deliberate again that deliberate thing with uh, with view that's like the, their typescript is deliberate this is deliberate like they want you they want a person that's reading a view file to know where stuff is coming from that's their change and that's what this gives you so by using um you know a regular javascript file with an import export of the function you're able to you know expose any of the functionality that you want with any of the variable like variances that you want and stuff like that and it's the same essentially it's the same as a mixin there's not really any difference so i don't really care uh, the fact that they removed it because this hooks functionality is the same but it's a little bit more deliberate and that's that's about it and it gives you a little bit more functionality in terms of it actually being able to access the view, uh, like all the, the the entire view state machine and stuff like that. So that's about it uh, for for view 3.0. That's what's new. Obviously, there's a lot more that I haven't talked about. Uh, there's a few other things. So I'll leave a few again, a few links in the in the show notes. Uh, with a few different articles and a video so you guys can check it out and look at it yourselves. But I just wanted to give an overview to the people that are interested on what's new in Vue 3.0. So did you straighten Matt, around that one point? Uh, not, not to like call you back to it, but you said you're going to come back to it. I wasn't sure if you had, had straightened that around or if that was important. That's why I just mentioned it. Uh, honestly, I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. All right. No worries. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make yeah. sure it wasn't important to the, to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, 
I think I'll ask all my questions in the beginning for the most part, uh, to be to be totally honest. I don't use views, so when you're talking about routers and stuff, it's like, you mean like a Cisco router? <laughs> okay. So, uh, I mean, unless you have anything else to add to that, I think we can jump jump into the web news here. Yeah. And no, like, like the only thing I'll add is like, again, it's, if you're listening to this just for the sake of listening to someone talk about a specific technology that you're not interested in, thank you. But really, this was meant for the people that are interested in Vue, that have used Vue quite a bit and that know a, a, like a, a few of the elements of it. I just wanted to give them some content um, for the because I'm in, interested in Vue 3.0 and wanted to make sure that it kind of gets out there, that it is out there and we should start using it and stuff like that. But I absolutely agree with you, Matt, that for a lot of people, it's going to be that same thing, like a router, you're talking Cisco or whatever. But again, we do have some Vue episodes where I do go break down what Vue is and how it's used and what a router is and what the Vuex state machine is. So if you want to go back and listen to them and then maybe listen to this episode, that might be a better route. Um, but yeah, that's that was kind of the intention. And, and it makes sense too, to be to be clear, like if you're if you're a listener right now, and you're you're coming from the beginner the beginner's kind of stage or you're beginner in view let's say and you're you're totally lost i mean it's there comes a point where like if we covered everything we covered in past episodes it would quite literally be like a 3 plus hour episode in some cases so like there has to be a time where we have to we break it down as much as you can into english but like there's just like a certain learning uh, like a prerequisite almost, if you will, to some things, because otherwise you could be like, it'd be like explaining how windows boots. And then you want to talk about how like a browser opens or something, but you have to keep talking about how windows boots, you know, the podcast would just keep getting longer and longer. And it'd be like a five and a half hour podcast, Yeah, you know, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I think that was a good overview, uh, overall, uh, some good questions there or good, uh, good question answers there. Uh, and then, as far as I know, that was a very good overview, Mike. <laughs> I don't know Thank all you. the rest of it. so. Um, but yeah, there'll be a couple, there's a couple links here in our show notes, so you guys can go check those out. One from uh, YouTube uh, via Academind, and uh, one's from viewschool.io as well. So that'll be in the show notes. But uh, we, you're going to jump into the web news, and this one is you know sort of a web thing, a gaming thing, a tech thing. It's all over the place. And I don't know uh, about you, Mike, but I am currently... At a point where I think we're seeing a paradigm shift in tech in general. And when I say that, I mean a lot of this stuff has been a long time in the making. A lot of this stuff has been going uh, going strong for years. A lot of it has been in you know, its infancy for years and it's starting to mature, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, everything is starting to feel like it's just a few clicks away now. I don't know whether it's the pandemic that has brought more things to our fingertips now so that we don't have to go out and do stuff like that. Uh, I don't know whether that's it, but, you know, like I, I've mentioned to you, I was out getting an Xbox Series X pre-order today and, like, I was streaming xCloud while waiting in line. I was effectively playing on an Xbox while, while playing in line or while standing in line and I was, like, hanging out with my one buddy there. And there's other, there's other things as well. So, you know, expensive softwares are more or less no longer one a one-time payment right you don't pay for version 10 and you get version 10 forever everything's more or less software as a service but when this you know comes to mind you think oh well you know you're paying more 
than you would normally because you're paying per month. But this actually lowers the entry point for people where people were would be incapable of paying $1,000, $500, $200 for software. It brings it down to, say, 20 a month, 15 a month, 10 a month, 30 a month even, 50 a month, whatever it is. Depends on the software. But it brings it down so those people that are on a strict month-to-month budget or just that don't have a big sort of bulk money buy um, or like a bulk amount of money to purchase things, like it... What's happening here, just in general, is everything, everything is getting faster. And what I'm noticing is, is like, there's this, there's this shift to things being so interconnected now that you miss the interconnectivities. Like, it's easy to miss a connection. So, like, for example, you would never know this, but like, there's a bunch of smart bulbs in, in this house and you control that with your voice and to the naked eye, you can still use the light switch and you just turn it off, turn it back on and it's totally fine. But there's like so many of these interconnections now that I'm starting to get the impression that things are really changing. So here's another, another big change. Hard drives were like going kind of the way of the Dodo for running your system. So actually putting the OS, but a popular configuration among gamers and among other, uh, you know, PC enthusiasts really were, was to put a SSD in there, whether it's a standard SSD, an MVME, whatever, it doesn't matter, an SSD in there of some sort, and then to put a mechanical drive in there because they were cheaper to have more data. So you'd have a small SSD, 512 or something, 12, 512 gig, I mean, and then you now, then you would put, you know, a two terabyte drive in there, five terabyte drive in there, mechanical drive, and that would hose your data. We're now seeing things enter the phase of like really high resolution and really, really fast. And that's because not only are SSDs being used as primary, secondary, and data drives, sort of quote unquote replacing the mechanical drives, but we're also seeing these devices get smaller, 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 or you don't even have a device at all short of a screen and you're just streaming it. Like my phone can't play Xbox games natively, but I was streaming it. Like, like that's what I was doing. xCloud via game pass. And the thing is, is I'm paying one subscription. So I'm getting Xbox game pass on my computer, Xbox game pass on my consoles, Xbox game pass on my phone now, which includes xCloud. And then xCloud is in a beta and it's slowly expanding. So like, I just feel like this is probably the first time in a first time since I started using sort of high speed internet, I'd say where I actually feel and possibly the first time in my life where I actually feel as though tech in general is, is making a major, a major step forward, a major difference. It's, it's changing in a major way. And whereas there's still a lot of things stuck in the past and you know, people aren't going to be buying the latest device all the time. But we're talking about people getting three, four, five camera setups on phones that are budgets, like on a budget. We're talking about phones that if you had the S9, you're still okay. Like, you know what I mean? You're still totally okay. And that's two, two gen-ish back, you know, whatever. Um, or maybe it's three gens back. But regardless of which, like, it's it's back there now. And before it would be, oh, you had a phone from two years ago. It's slow as hell. We got to switch it out. Now it's like, uh, well, Mike and I, we, like, I have a Note 10 Plus. And uh, I remember there was like a really good trade-in deal for the Note 10 Plus to get the Note 20 Ultra or whatever it was called, the the, the biggest Note 20, whatever. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, this Note, this Note 10 Plus still feels new to me. Like, it still feels like I just bought this thing. There's no slowdown. There's no problem with the battery. There's no, like, like that's it. 
<laughs> you know, and so like there literally just what there wasn't a feeling of of change. But the biggest change honestly comes in PCs. So I have a big desktop that I'm using right now. It's rather old, but we've retrofitted it and like upgraded it over the years and fixed it and stuff like that. But it it's I don't know, it's probably eight ish years old, something along those lines. And like it's been fully effectively replaced by a laptop that's also that's sitting right beside me effectively. That's like my work laptop, but it's also one that I can game on if I want to. And it's like super powerful, right? And we're seeing this in a laptop, right? And this laptop is to make it fast and everything else. Now it has a mechanical drive and an NVMe drive in there for the system. I could easily upgrade the drive, whatever. I'm not going to get into the semantics of it. But the point is we're entering a point in which Everything is so interconnected that you can almost control everything from this laptop, get up off this chair, pick up the iPad beside it, do the same interactions. And I mean interactions as in you're messing with your smart home, you're playing games. Yes, I know there's the whole Apple xCloud thing. We're not going to get into that. But the point is like we're getting to a point in which you can pick up, you can go from your computer, pick up a tablet, go into the other room. As you leave the room, tell your Google assistant or whatever assistant you have to turn off the lights or turn off the TV or do whatever you need to do. And you can do all of this, like, as you walk out of the room, like I was telling Mike the other day, I'm like a walking commercial. I literally, like, wake up, check my phone, pick up my watch, put that on, check that, go downstairs, open up a tablet or, like, a Windows tablet, do some work up there. Sometimes I need more power or, like, you know, need my dev environment or whatever. Bring my main desktop, work on there, then go to my office after. Now I have my big desktop, which can be totally replaced by a one, which I do actually have, which is, like, a one... USB-C slash Thunderbolt cable to pl- that could that could if I had everything plugged in and it's literally just a matter of plugging things in could just replace this big thing this massive computer like this computer is massive it's a half x cooler master half x case this tiny laptop can replace that whole thing through one adapt one adapter one adapter that was like forty dollars or something along those lines Canadian I think maybe fifty something whatever like around whatever like it was under a hundred like this is this is the first time. In which I'm, like, this is a, this is the result of computing becoming mundane. This is the result of, if you need to compute, you can do it. The other day I saw this thing called Samsung The Wall, and I only saw a couple of pictures, I didn't do my research in it, but the very first thing I thought of was, imagine if, like, we're at a, we, we reach a point in which like we no longer paint walls or no longer have drywall and we just have computing wherever the hell it is. And if you need to plan a, ro- a, a road trip, you can just walk up to your wall, wherever it is, zoom it, like say like, show me my map. It, the house knows where you are. You zoom into your map. Like all of that stuff for the most part is already possible, just not consumerized yet, right? If they, if like you gave big companies like a year or two years, they could make that experience. Now, maybe you would still need the drywall and stuff like that. And there would be logistics to it, I'm sure. But the point is we're reaching a point in which computing is just becoming instant. We're reaching a point in which right now, if you use to get a little bit into the gaming, if you use a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, you know, you're on a mechanical drive. You're on a 500-ish gig mechanical drive in most cases, depending on if you have a pro or whatever. We're not going to get into all the semantics. But like a 500-ish gig drive, maybe a terabyte something like that and you might have like an external plugged into it or whatever and like it's it's slow man there's load times depending on the game you're playing there's load times some games are super fast some games are not whatever but the ui can be slow sometimes you gotta wait for stuff to load you gotta wait for stuff to copy you gotta wait for stuff to download you gotta wait for it to install right there those are the logistics of computing today 
and we are literally on the cusp if not some if, if not we've already surpassed it but it's effectively being shipped out in the form of new consoles let's say to a point where we will no longer be loading much maybe a little bit of loading but not a lot we will be very very possibly almost completely eliminating this right there are now flagship consoles that no longer have disk drives. Sometimes they do have a disk drive. You can argue the Series X is a flagship console. We're not Again, we're not getting into the weeds of stuff. I'm just talking in generalities. The point of the matter is, this is my second laptop. My first one, I mean, I had an old computer, uh, an old productivity one, like an office one for school. But like my the laptop before this, I used for seven some years. And I used it so much that like literally the paint came off the keys. And that thing did not have a CD drive. And I didn't notice it for like two years. This new one doesn't have a CD drive either. And I don't even notice it. So now these consoles are going to a point where there's like very little, if not, if any, load time. And computers are getting to that point. Like I was telling, I think I was telling you, Mike, and a couple other people, where, where when I think it was like Linus Tech Tips was trying to get the SSD faster and faster on Windows. And I was I was saying like, if you're doing massive data transfers, that makes total sense. If you're if, if something is using that sort of bandwidth and like the, you know, something's calling the drive that much, that makes total sense. But I was like, there's, it, there's only, I'm not, I'm not like sitting on my mouse at the ready being like, okay, and start menu, click the button. Like, you know what I mean? It, like it, the start menus and the, the, the general day-to-day tasks load so damn fast if it's on an SSD now and if you have good CPU and all the rest of it, but like they load so damn fast now that we're literally looking at load, loadless or near, near loadless, like computing we're reaching the point where you can reach out with your voice and have stuff happen think about this i have an old phone behind me in in a shelf somewhere it's called the samsung forever it was my first phone that thing had 3g and that was like holy crap it has 3g like that was that was the big thing in high school right because 3g had just come out and the first ipad had just come out dating myself but it doesn't matter the point of the matter is that thing that thing like it had a thing called nuance or nuance or whatever voice control system. And that thing like constantly screwed up, didn't have many commands, didn't run very well. At least not my experience. Maybe it ran better on other phones. I don't know. Even the iPhones though, like I remember iPhone four, people were all excited about Siri and even Siri was getting a lot of words wrong. Now I control pretty much my whole damn home with voice control. So I feel as though we are quite literally like, at in the infancy of like the, the short of the space thing, well maybe even that we are in the infancy of like the Jetsons, like like no longer is it like a production like a some sort of a movie producer or something predicting predicting this. This is like actual real. We're starting to see it. Look at the Cybertruck. Like things come out like that. That thing's like something out of like Cyberpunk or Blade Runner or something. Now, I know that's just style or whatever, but look at what's happening here. We're talking about, on a normal day, I can see a few Teslas. Like, this is, like, this is a paradigm, like, I'm not trying to sound like fanboyish, because I'm literally talking about everything right now, pretty much in tech. We are on, like, the cusp in the infancy, in my opinion, of a massive, like, paradigm shift. Now, there's some negatives to it, you could say... A lot of it has to do with instant gratification, which it does. Like, I, I just want to play this Xbox game. I don't want to download it, so you stream it, whatever. Yes, there's conveniences, and there's, like, conveniences, and there's pros and cons to all this stuff. But well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with instant gratification? What, what's wrong with what's wrong with instant gratification is it, it can, like, sort of breed a, 
okay, so there's two things. Number one is like if you're getting into the logistics of it, I am a person that personally likes to have my stuff locally computed or possibly locally locally computed. I'm not against xCloud in any capacity, but I, I like the ability to have the box in my home because I'm a person that doesn't like to rely on the internet like line coming into the home uh, or the the wireless internet because in my opinion, that is too sensitive a system and it's out of our control. There's a reason why suddenly like when things go down, you're like, what happened? You know, you have no idea that like the janitor bumped the thing in the data center, three things down and like this line got clogged down with traffic and then that took this thing. You know what I mean? Like you don't know, like there's a lot of logistics in delivering you data and it is absolutely like an amazing thing and I'm not obviously like I use cloud computing all the time. So I'm absolutely not talking that down, but I, I personally like an option, an option to locally compute. Reason, uh, recently, like, I don't know, two years ago, we had our internet go down for over a week. Week-ish, something like that. And it was a whole tech support thing, and not, not to get into the weeds of that, but the point is, like, I was starting to go back to, like, old stuff. Like, I'd be like, oh, I'll just, like, boot up my PSP. And I realized that, yes, those were simpler days, and, like, the PSP is not, like, the best CPU anymore, and stuff like that. But the point is, that thing didn't rely on something that I had no control over. Sure, I don't have. Sure, you could argue I don't have control over like, what if one of the contacts goes bad and it and it like you know the, the solder comes off or whatever. You know, certainly there's 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 risk to everything, but the point is is like I could go if the PSP was still available in store. I could go pick up another PSP, come home and like just have another PSP, right? So I'm I'm personally a fan of having some infrastructure that you control and some infrastructure that you you use. Now, of course, there's the argument of electricity, but electricity now is like so common, right? That it's sort of like, like, you know, I'm not going to start worrying about the fact that I have a car versus a, like a horse-drawn carriage. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, electricity is just a piece of everything now. And then that's just the reality. But internet is still something where there are data caps and plans vary, of course, but there are data caps. There's speed limitations. There's technical problems. Things go up. Things go down. Things get oversold. Things get overused. Uh, internet goes down because of certain things. Uh, because of COVID-19, the different uh, qualities of YouTube are still available, but the default is lower. Stuff like that. Or I don't know if that's still the truth, but it's you know it was at one point. It might still be that it, YouTube would automatically select a lower bandwidth, like a lower resolution for you and stuff like that. And like the, I'm just saying that. I don't like the sensitivity of ha- like it's it's not the instant gratification from a, a human perspective. I think it's not like a greed thing because like I'm a very I'm a person where I'm like yeah fuck, give, give, give me that service give me that service give me that service like I'm because I like to try things out more so, but it's it it's more of a I'm worried like could you imagine Mike just streaming your uh, entire dev setup which which you can do. So, like, let's say you have your dev set up in your home, so you're locally computing it, but let's say you, for whatever reason, are working two hours away, for whatever reason. So, instead of you bringing a powerful machine, you bring a screen or something crazy, whatever, or a phone, heaven forbid, and you actually, like, stream your desktop experience in some capacity to a device, whether it's a weaker, like, a lower-end laptop or whatever it is. Totally viable. People do it all the time. But what if that one person's Ethernet like port is broken? You know what I mean? Like to me, that that bothers me. Like that part bothers me. I just don't want that piece. And that that might be the IT in me or something. But that that's the one quote unquote problem in in my opinion. Um, I know there's probably like people out there that are saying instant gratification is bad for behavioral stuff. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know anything about that, so I can't really communicate in that that regard. But that that that's the end of my rant. <laughs> 
I, I think we are literally in the infancy, literally in the infancy, in my opinion, of the Jetsons level stuff. Whether we go into space or not, I think we're there. Like, I think we're, like, there's freaking Roombas rolling around. Like, Rosie the Maid, Rosie the Maid would, like, use the Roomba in the Jetsons. So, like, what, it would, like, the Roomba would have made first, and then, like, I think her name was Rosie in the Jetsons. Rosie, yep. So, Rosie would be beeping around, like, freaking dust and stuff. Instead of that, there's a little robot freaking beeping around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some pretty sophisticated Roombas out there now that are really cool. See what I'm saying, though? Like, like tower Roombas and stuff. See? Like, I think that we are in a, in terms of tech... We are in a paradigm shift. Now, there's money holding people back. Obviously, like a lot of the stuff's expensive. But as it gets but older... But it is becoming cheaper. As I was going to yeah, say, it as it gets older, cheaper. it starts getting more acceptable. And so, look at the install base of... Not that we have official numbers, but just the amount of sales we see. Look at the amount of like sellouts, uh, like pe- like stores literally selling out, of like the the Google Nest Mini. Like oh, every Boxing Day here in in Canada, it's like oh, it's on for thirty nine bucks or whatever, depending on the retailer, and they're always sold out or selling like friggin' hotcakes. Like there's a huge box of them, and the box is half empty. Like the install base of literally an assistant that can control your damn house is accessible now. Absolutely, like smart smart home smart home is accessible now. Like every everything becomes accessible slowly. And faster and faster and faster nowadays, especially computing power is extremely accessible. Stuff like, uh, you know, multi-core processors and decent graphics have becoming are becoming mundane. Really, like you can get a laptop for six hundred dollars that will have you know an eight-core processor and uh, and some graphics, like some you know not like integrated, but almost pretty much dedicated with enough performance to play like any esports title. Like stuff is becoming mundane, like you were saying. It's easy. It's very easy to get a laptop that you can use for anything you want, like whether it be video creation, gaming, uh, accounting, like engineering. Like you can get a laptop at a very low price to do all that. Um, one, one little caveat with that is I've noticed that as soon as this becomes like people are, people always want to pay the least amount for anything that they buy. I've noticed that constantly like anytime that someone asks me for a laptop recommendation my first thing is like what's your budget and before it was like well you couldn't get a laptop for anything less than eight hundred dollars unless you wanted a piece of shit or a thousand dollars unless you wanted like something really bad um and that was their budget and i'd be like okay like that sucks and we have to kind of go down and stuff like that now for a thousand dollars you can get a really nice machine oh yeah but everyone has reduced their budget for a laptop like the last three people that i've asked for recommend like that have asked me for recommendations on a laptop are in the budget of 300 to like 500 dollars, and i don't like i don't mean to be a dick but i don't help people that are in that budget like i'm sorry like because my recommendation in that budget would probably break or has a chance of breaking and they would come back to me like why would you recommend this well like you didn't want to spend any money so i recommended you the best in that budget so i don't i don't recommend anymore in that budget i don't recommend in the low tiers anymore if you don't want to spend the money, that's fine. You can go out there, go to you know, go to Best Buy and tell them, and they'll give you a three-year-old laptop. That, that's, that's what I tell people if they're in a really yeah. low budget tier. Like I just literally say, honestly, your best bet is to try to find something on sale or you think will be on sale, and and the best way to do that is to tell a retailer like what you want, 
and what you're going to be doing. And they'll say this is on sale because like God knows if I know like what's going to be on sale, you know. Exactly. And then it's not on you either. It's not on you at that point. So it's on the retailer. They can go back to them and return it and they're not going to complain to you. But if you recommend them this HP laptop that's $350 and it breaks in the first week, you're the one that's going to seem like an idiot or like an asshole and stuff like that, which just doesn't make sense. So in my opinion, you shouldn't be Unless you're like really in a budget constraint, you shouldn't be buying at the low level. No matter how low the level gets and how good it gets, you should be buying somewhere in the middle, a little bit above the low level, stuff like that. That'll get you something that'll last you for a long time and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of like a trend that I've noticed with people buying tech. Um, phones is different. Phones, people tend to spend more money on them. I don't know why it is. I guess it's something because they use it every day and stuff like that. They're, they just want something new. They want something that will last them a little bit longer. Uh, so they usually spend some a decent amount of money on phones. Like I've never – very rarely have people come to me with a rec- like asking for a phone recommendation and been like, I can only spend $200. I've never had that. Um, what, pe- I, what I noticed is people will hold on to their phones forever and then they'll complain exactly. if like – the battery's dead and you'd be like well how old is it and it's like four years old and you might not think that's that's old but this is something that's constantly in your pocket doesn't matter how cased up it is it's constantly being banged around you're literally using it all the time because notifications come in at any time you know like this is a piece of you like this could if this could be your eyeballs at times you you know what i mean like it's literally a piece of your brain effectively at this point yeah so people, people, yeah, people overextend the use of their phones and they usually spend a decent amount of money on them. Like people are okay with spending money or, or going on the contracts. Maybe that's another reason. Like people just do the two year contracts for phones and use their phones for like three or four years, which is good. Like that's good for e-waste and stuff like that. You should, you should be using it to the point where it does become an actual nuisance for you, where you actually don't like using the phone, right? Like if, if you get up in the morning, you're like, God dang, like, I don't want to friggin' use this phone anymore because it keeps dying on me or, you know, the, the the screen keeps flickering or something. Like, at that point, yeah, you should be replacing it no matter what. But if the phone still works and does everything you need it to do, whatever, like, it's fine. And that's a lot. Most people that aren't tech enthusiasts, that's how they use their phones. So they're okay with Which is totally reasonable, but, and that's part of the mundaneness. Yeah. Is like, I have an S8 Plus here. Exactly. People, Someone could take that and use it for another two years, and it'd be totally fine. Probably, like, yeah, exactly. If they were it'd be, like, it'd be a maybe a little not, bit. but, like... Exactly. But someone that's just checking their email and sending messages and taking pictures, like that's perfectly it's still they'll never notice it. They'll never notice the difference. No. And they could use that forever. So stuff like that, like it is becoming mundane is a good is a good way to put it. A lot of tech is becoming mundane. Gaming. So I wanted to talk about this. Gaming technology is now becoming mundane. Um with the Xbox Series S announcement where it's an affordable price, which is, I mean, affordable is what, $300 or $400? $400, right? I think right? it's $379.99 Canadian, I believe. $379 Canadian, yeah. So that's, that's, that is affordable in terms of a gaming uh, gaming system in, in this day and age, especially for what you're getting. Um, that plus, on top of that, games. So it used to be you got a gaming system, and I remember back in the PS2 and PS3 days, I would get a gaming system and I would have to budget anywhere between about the price of the gaming system or about half the price between half and, and the price of the gaming system for the games because otherwise you either if you're getting a day one console sometimes they don't come with a game at all nowadays they don't um and stuff like that so i would have to budget a bunch of money for the games nowadays with streaming and with all these like even playstation will have a service where like they'll give you a bunch of games right off the bat you're gonna get an entire library of games on the first day you get a console for like 10 bucks a month. 
Yeah, I'm literally yeah, is, literally I'm not buying any games with my Xbox Series X. I'm literally yeah. literally just getting the console. Yeah, you don't have to spend money on games anymore. Like actual like big money. And yes, they've increased the prices of the games on these consoles. I believe they're starting at like 89.99 Canadian or something on some for for a lot of the games. I believe I believe um, that is true, yes. Yeah, but like if I'm buying one game a year or two games a year, it's, it's still okay because I'm going to be spending like yes, I am going to be spending money on the subscription, but I can play like you know, I don't have to go to the rental store anymore, which there is, they don't exist anymore for a good reason. I can just play any game that I want for as long as I want, pretty much, and uh, move on to the next game because I have an entire library. Like, we're not talking, like, it used to be I have, like, three games for my console when I first buy it, maximum. And I would have those three games, and I can flip between them how I want for, like, a few months, six months, like, four months, whatever, however long it takes me to save for another one or whatever comes out. Now I have, like, 100 games. If you go into, like, and you're 100% correct here, if you go into uh, your library, so I've had Xbox Live Gold for 14 plus years. It says it on my profile, 14, and God knows how far I am into the 14th year. Okay? 14 plus years. Now, not that for that entire time, they haven't been giving away free games, but they give away, I don't really track it, so, like, don't quote me on this. This is not a news show, but um, he says in the web news segment, um... <laughs> But, like, they give away, like, two, three, four games sometimes a month, right? Depending on, like, whatever it is. They give away, like, original Xbox titles because they're backwards compatible and stuff. You know, whatever. Like, there's there's a there's a, there's a a lot of games given away for free. And what it is is you're paying for Xbox Live Gold. You can play online on the service for those of you that don't game. And then you claim those games and those are yours as long as you have Xbox Live Gold. Now, if you want to leave Xbox Live Gold forever, you can purchase the game, of course. And I sometimes there's a discount for it. Maybe always. I'm not sure. Again, I don't logistically check all this crap. I just claim it. But the point is, I have, I have two services and they're kind of amalgamated now. I don't know how all that works. I haven't looked it up. But I have uh, EA Access, which I think is now called EA Play, which is an EA that's a specific publisher. Uh, that's their... Uh, subscription service in which they give you a vault of games and there's some other stuff like other benefits that you get like discounts sometimes and stuff and then there's xbox live uh xbox live or xbox gold xbox whatever xbox live gold and then there's um xbox game pass so i've up i've amalgamated my game pass and my gold to xbox game pass ultimate which includes the pc one xbox live gold and uh the pc one xbox live gold and then the xbox obviously version of the, of the game, of, uh, like, the library of games in the Game Pass. There's some sort of amalgamation going on with EA Play as well. I have not looked up much about that yet, but there is some sort of amalgamation going on with that, where they're conjoining, or they're, like, joining together or something like that. Again, I'm not fully versed. It also includes xCloud streaming, which currently is running in a beta on my phone, right? So, like, I mean, it's an open beta for anyone that downloads the app and has the scri- subscription, but the point is, if you go into your, my, like, my library... My library in the Xbox One right now is absolutely fucking massive. There is tons of games that have been claimed for, like, around 10 of the 14 years, let's say. Something like that. Again, totally guessing. And there are tons of games in the Xbox Game Pass, the EA Play slash EA Access library, and God knows whatever else, like, that I've just purchased. Some of these are, like, brand new games. If it's a Microsoft-made title, you literally get it day one. Now, yes, it's there is like a Netflix component where 
games, and I believe it's only third-party games, but again, haven't done a lot of digging, but they do rotate in and out, like, you know, Netflix loses a movie, then gets it back, or loses it forever, who knows. There is, like, some games that do that, but they do warn you about it, and oftentimes there's a, there's a discount, so you're, like, playing a game, you really like it, and you're not done it, it's gonna leave tomorrow, you can get it for a discount. It'll, you know, the game will, or the app will let you know what the hell. But, like, it's usually months, though. Like, it's usually... It's in there for months, at least. And things come back, to, uh, from what mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, but, like, like this is, like, this is actually, like, actually fucking crazy. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, this is a... Problem is, we don't have any time to play them. I mean, there's <laughs> We don't that. have enough time. Yeah. But, like, I, I could literally be sitting here and playing games for probably the rest of my life and not be done even if i don't buy a new game but the thing is is like this is this is the whole instant gratification uh you know paradigm shift thing that we're talking about is before you're saying you'd have three games you'd rotate through them and then you'd have to logistically go look for a new game and buy it now you can still do that with the digital or you can do it with this whatever you'd like however now you can just like boot up game pass and be like hey man like i got a couple like you know a couple free hours tonight what can i play it's just like netflix you know, like this is a this is a paradigm shift in this section of the of the industry. Now, there's less of that on the PlayStation side. Yes, they give you free games to claim uh, per month. There's a few games, whatever they give you. Uh, they give you some games to claim as long as you have PS Plus, uh, PlayStation Plus, which is also also allows you to access their online service, just like Xbox Live Gold allows you to access Xbox Live. Um, but the point of the matter is like. Even my PlayStation library is massive just from claiming those games. And you, there's a streaming service there. You could a streaming and and or a download service like Game Pass called PS Now. Uh, it's, it it doesn't include like the newest games right away and stuff like that. There's differences in the program. Some of the games stream. Some of them are downloadable. I'm not again not gonna get into the weeds of all this stuff. But like this is this is a massive massive change in how we you do this crap. Like. Um, I'm literally, like I said, I'm literally not buying any games on my Xbox Series X and it would oftentimes like, like you said, be 50% of the console price or more, right? In, in which games you would buy like off the hop. Um, with the PlayStation 5, I'm going to be buying like one or two games. And with the Xbox one in the past year, I think I've bought one game. I buy Call of Duty and I only buy, I only buy the Call of Duties that my friends play. If they skip Call of Duty that year, then I just don't play Call of Duty. And that's it. Like, it's called to use a social game for me. And that's it. And, like, this is... This is a massive pair... Like, this is... This is this is getting to the point, right, where it's like Netflix. Like, not all these games are streamed. A lot of them, you just download them. Some of them, you can stream, like I said, with PS Now or xCloud. But, like, this is like the, the Netflix effect. Like, when we were in college, Netflix was in his infancy. They used to have, like, one action movie, and, like, it was horrible. And then... It was mostly like, you know, you would rent DVDs and they'd ship it to you, right? Now, I don't know if that service is still in, in play, but Netflix primarily now uh, is absolutely like the streaming service. And you can go on there anytime and just stream crap. Like, this is crazy. You want to hear something else that's freaking crazy? I don't even use the Netflix app half the time. I tell my damn Google Assistant to do it and it pulls it up on the TV for me. I can do that with Amazon Prime and stuff too and... I'm pretty sure it can. See what I mean? Like, it's everything's so interconnected that, like, when I say I don't want to get into the weeds of it, it's because there's a lot to get into, you know? If you're in the Amazon ecosystem, like, you are in the Amazon ecosystem, and there's a bunch that you probably don't even know, even though you're in the ecosystem. Yep. Yeah, there's just a lot. And to bring it back to web development a little bit or programming uh, or web design, 
all these software as a service applications that are coming out, like for like, you know, Adobe has switched all their applications to software as a service, um, balsamic software as a service, like everything, essentially everything we use right now. I don't think I have a, a single application that, uh, it's either free or I pay per month. That's the kind of thing that's happening now before I would like question it. And I, I, I didn't really like it. I didn't like the, the idea of software as a service, but the more I kind of use it, the more it makes sense to me because it gets updated month, it gets updated yearly. I, you kind of adapt slowly to the updates. Like when you update, they usually give you like a list of features that they've added. Uh, old features usually aren't taken away until like two or three years down the line and stuff like that. And you kind of slowly adapt before how it used to work. So Photoshop, like three to like, seven was a pretty big update and you'd essentially have to relearn photoshop from scratch oh because you would yeah because you would have saved up during that period in between and then exactly. bought the next disc or whatever you're however you're getting it and then exactly and you used to be a huge thing like people wouldn't upgrade like people would not upgrade because they, they <laughs> liked their old applications and they knew how to do everything and they would not upgrade and it's bad for multiple reasons like they're not using the newest technology that people have spent a lot of time developing and they want people to use they're not using the latest security stuff they're not using like it's just it's bad for most entities when you're not using the latest thing. A lot of the t- sometimes, like I'll I'll admit this that sometimes they make they release a new piece of uh, like a new version and it's worse. Sometimes that does happen, but most of the time it doesn't. Nowadays, like new versions are either incremental or they're like just additions and not subtractions, stuff like that. Like a lot of the features that a lot of the applications that I'm personally using. I appreciate the new features that they're adding. And I appreciate the fact that I'm not going through and relearning everything every, you know, two or three years because I bought a new version. Because no one's like, not a lot of people were buying every year a new version of Adobe Photoshop. They were buying every three or every four years. And they would have to relearn it. And that was a big factor. Like a lot of the, when we were doing IT, a lot of the people using applications were downloaded it bought applications and they were using extremely old versions like extremely old versions of dreamweaver extremely old versions of photoshop and it would be a pain to work with them because they're so goddamn old like they're really they're really old yeah those, those softwares are like terribly old if you try to open them in modern yeah. things you got all these warnings and crap exactly and like they would refuse to upgrade and then they would get angry because their 10 year old software their seven year old software stopped working on their new computers Right, they would get angry because they're so used to it. They don't want to go to the new software and have to relearn it. They just got this like thing where like their mind is just blocked from change. But really, we shouldn't like, in my opinion, you shouldn't be blocked from change. We should be approaching it in a very sensible manner, like not constantly looking for it all the time. But we should want stuff to improve. We should want stuff to get better. We should want stuff to you know secure, be secure and and all that. Like I've grown to accept the the Windows 10 updates. They just happen. Like they, you know, sometimes they break stuff. Okay. Like so far it hasn't been like devastating, like because of the fact that I'm always connected, all my stuff gets saved. Like if I have a blue screen of death, I I haven't had to recover a, a file in four years or five years. Like, I don't know. Like everything is just up there. If I have to lose, if I lose like 30 seconds of time for restarting my computer. Okay. I'll accept that. I had huge issues before where like, I would be working in a Word document and my computer would blue screen or my computer would die or like I would come home and my computer restarted for whatever reason because there was a power outage and I would lose the progress in my file and I would literally lose hours of work or something. That has not happened to me once in the last four years because everything is clouded. Everything is software as a service. Everything is a web app. I have come to appreciate that aspect of the new technology. 
uh, more than I thought I would because I was a little bit like you, Matt, where I was more I was hesitant because I like the physical aspect of it. Like I was, I was in my back of my mind, I'm always thinking, what happens if the internet is just cut out today? And I can't use these applications anymore. I can't use the games on Game Pass. I can't use, like, there's a bunch of things I won't be able to use. If, if the internet gets cut out today because of some global epi- pandemic that's happening right now, like, you know, the society just goes down. Or, or like a meta, like da- some, major data center goes down or something. Major, Yeah, like, well, major data center goes down. I feel like that can be fixed. I'm talking, like, internet goes down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, down. Uh what would happen? And like, I would always have that in my back of my mind. Like I wouldn't be able to watch Netflix. So I have to download movies and I have to buy movies and I have to do all this. But really in that scenario, I'm going to have other shit to worry about. Like if the internet got, went down, something severe happened to the world. I'm going to have other shit to worry about. Like I do have my old like stuff. Like I'll play cards or something like if for entertainment. Like I don't care. Like at that point, it's not, I don't need the stuff. Like I don't, I'm not as connected to the physical medium or the digital downloaded medium that I have as I was before, because I just realized that it's just that connection doesn't make sense. I'd rather be able to, you know, take advantage and enjoy what we have right now, because really I have no choice. Uh, There's no point in, you know, resisting it because it's happening. I'd rather be able to enjoy that right now. Enjoy this all like super connected world. Enjoy the cloud-based, you know, everything cloud-based storage systems that we have uh, then fight it. So that's what I've done over the past couple of years. I've kind of really embraced it and I like it. Like I like all my applications being web browser tabs. I like all my, uh, like, I don't know. Like I, I, there's not many negatives. There are some absolutely like internet connection can vary sometimes. Like if I go up to a cottage, like I'm going up to a cottage in two weeks, I'm going to have slower internet connection. So some of my stuff is going to work worse. Yeah. But even then on the, at the cottage, I still have internet. I still can do 99.9% of everything that I would be doing. Like I can't watch 4K Netflix, but I can watch regular, like, you know, 720, 1080p Netflix on YouTube. I can still do all my development because like Git, like I can still access Git. I can still go in like, um, you know, do my to-do lists. They're all cloud-based, but I can still do it because it's enough internet for that. Like even low-end internet for me is enough for most of what I'm doing. So my thought process, as long as that gets upgraded over the next five to 10 years and it's happening, like another talking about paradigm shifts, Elon Musk's Starlink system launching like hundreds of satellites in the air and providing internet to rural areas. That's a huge thing. That's a huge that, thing. Oh, yeah. That, that, that is that that is massive. Right now, people are using is, those direct lines and all this other crap. Yeah. The satellite internet crap. Like I know Starlink is technically satellite internet, but it's low Earth orbit. Yeah, yeah. So that means the latency is not going to be bad. Current satellite internet is like a minute of late, like you can't you a minute of latency and and weather weather uh, permitting, weather permitting. Yeah. Now I don't know how Starlink will be affected by weather. I don't want to comment to that, but I have seen some early test results of it, and it's looked really good. Like I I don't want to get into it too far because I think that they have some sort of NDA and stuff like that, uh, and I don't want to get called out for by Starlink for anything. But regardless, it's looking pretty damn good. Um, in terms of latency, which is a really important thing if you don't know about it. Latency is the thing that like Matt and I are talking right now. If it was a minute of delay, Matt would talk. I would wait a minute and then receive his communication. And then I would talk back. That's how current satellite internet can be for, for rural areas. Like the internet speed could be okay, but then the latency. So you can't have communications. You can watch, you can read the news and maybe like watch videos sometimes, but you can't have communications, which is really important on the internet. Like for schools. The other thing that this 
like one one second the other big thing that this does <clears throat> is allow people to move out to different areas of the country so the spread of like the demographical spread across the country because if i'm for for me like i wouldn't mind moving to a cottage at some point right and just living there for like half a year yeah in the summer and I could do that if this if Starlink becomes a thing because all I need is the internet. All I need is a good connection. All I need is an, the ability to to use all the web tools that I have. I don't care about like big city infrastructure. But right now it's not an option for us because of the bad internet there. Like we are working on the internet, so we can't we don't we can't afford to like disconnect ourselves or put ourselves on such bad internet that it's going to hinder our performance as a web developer. So that is going to be a massive shift, not only in tech but in demographic uh, like spread and stuff like that, especially with what's going on with COVID, everyone working from home, the government's kind of going into a work from home routine. Everything is, there's a big shift. It's not like it's tech is definitely a big part of it as well. And, and probably the main part of what's happening, like this work from home stuff is a big tech paradigm shift as well. Because again, when everything goes back to normal, do you think everyone's just going to open up their offices and be like, let's go, let's work from home. People are going to do some calculations. They're going to be like, how much money have I saved? Yeah. How, how Has this team been able to work efficiently without uh, without being in the office? Can I close down that part of the office? Can I rent that part out? Can I drop my lease here? Is this team working better or worse? Does this person need to be in the Like, there, There's going to be a lot of that, that kind of conversations going on. It'll, it'll, it'll be super you, interesting to see which, which – because yeah. some places are going to be completely like, nope, get the hell back in here. Absolutely, some will be, but I don't think it's going to be a majority. I honestly don't know, I, but I, I I agree yeah. with you that some like there's going to be a, a there's going to be some conversations. Like some people might just close the office and be like, "The hell with this." Yeah, and there's some people like we're not saying that everyone is great at working from home and all that. Like that's not a thing. Like it's not not everyone likes to work from home. It's not it's not a universal truth. It's not not every company is going to go like, okay, that's it. We're closing all the offices and all the cities remain barren. No, that's not how it's going to be. But this was a huge experiment that that the companies did. And I guarantee you some of them will see the benefit of it. And if not work from home completely, there might be a system where you work from the home more often. Even if the company is against working from home, they will, they will see the need to shift shift to working from home sometimes. So it's like, it is going to be a paradigm shift in a lot of ways. Internet's going to have to get, become better. Technology at home, like home offices are going to be a huge thing. They're a huge thing right now. It's going to get even bigger. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where the, the few, like the, when like Blackberries and smartphones and those type of things are coming out, they're like, you can kind of work wherever you are now, Right. This is going to become more of a reality for people that need bigger setups like developers and stuff like that, right? Yeah. It's going to become more of a thing. And you're right on like the, the internet front. Like uh, if you if you were able to spread out, like I live in a smaller town um, and it just got like pretty good internet now, but it is like a pretty close to a population center and stuff like that. But most small towns aren't close enough to a population center in order to get good internet or be in the certain, you know, commercial circumstance that we're in that got us good internet type of thing. Um, so like some people might, might want to live in a small town. Like some people don't live in the city just for the fact that there's good internet there, uh, or just for the fact that there's, that there's like events there or whatever, but like, that's really expensive rent. If you're able to spread out, you could literally save 
like a thousand or more on your on your rent a month, right? You can save a thousand or more on your rent, and then you're you're golden at that point. Like you can, if you have your internet, you can do whatever. You can now draw. You can now afford a car. Maybe you can drive to those events occasionally if you go to the events in the city. Like you can visit the city. No one's stopping you from visiting the city. This is like a big. This is like a big thing. Like this is a big, big change, and it may result in companies finding new talent talent that they could never have found of before because some people just wanted to live in a small town and that was like part of what they wanted. They could be super valuable employees and now they can. They can work at a big city company from the small town with no problem, right? So this is super, I don't know, this is a, like, we. I, I know we've jumped around from gaming to software as a service to whatever and there's pros and cons of everything, but I really do feel as though, like, this is the first time I feel as though we are entering like the future and it's weird that I'm seeing this in the midst of like a global pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, like, like what a, like what a time, but technically speaking, what a time because you need the innovations to combat it and whatever else you need to do. But you know what I mean? So this is, this is a huge thing. Um, it's like a huge shift. And, and honestly, I'd like to invite anyone who has any opinion on this to like hit us up on the socials. Like let us know, what you think about about this type of thing like do you guys think this is a paradigm shift do you guys think this is like really really bad and we should be you know not using the internet or something you know what what, whatever your opinion is you know let us know because obviously mike and i have our opinions but everyone else has theirs and 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 everyone has different perspectives too like somebody who's in like a village like a very small town may have a totally different perspective than me and have a totally different perspective than you mike you know it, it could be a totally different thing so i'd love to hear some different opinions on our instagram or who or wherever um but personally, I think I think I've I've that's my <laughs> that's my that's my contribution to web news. I never know how to end these things. Yep. Uh, do you have anything else to add, Mike? No, I think we should roll up the outro, and I'm also curious to see what people have to say. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in, everybody, and uh, remember on that Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/html/things. Check out those tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our three dollars tier patron, Sean from Rabbit Works JavaScript. Find him at YouTube.com/slash/RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io and Bib Hashdash from Twitter via at Bib Hashdash. Feel free to leave a comment or a review in the platform that you're listening to this on, and I'm going to let this outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.